and my why ties into my identity and belief system. So I strongly believe in the future and the and leadership potential that's locked inside of our youth. And someone believed in me, right? So uh, I'm really just giving back to what I've seen. Uh, someone took the time uh, and connect the dots between the built environment, community, and education for me. And so that's my give back. And if I'm going to be optimistic about our future, I have no choice to, to believe in the potential of our youth. Four Degrees to the Streets is designed to empower anyone curious about places and spaces, not just persons with professional degrees or backgrounds. Here we will cover a host of topics, including transportation, health, housing, and the environment through the lens of racism, classism, and sexism, and give listeners the tools they need to overcome institutional barriers. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the number four degrees pod and tune in every other Tuesday where Nemo and Jazz keep it four degrees to the streets. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Four Degrees to the Streets podcast. We are recording our first episode of 2024, um, even though you all will hear this a little bit later in the month. Um, but Happy New Year. This is the last day that I tell people Happy New Year. After the fifth, it's just like mm -hmm. back to back to our regular greetings. <laughs> right. And you can also hear our latest episode um, that we co-hosted with the Urban Planning is Not Boring podcast, where we cover transportation-oriented development topics from east to west. I'm also wishing you all a um, belated um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Hopefully um, that day provided, whether that be a day of service, a day of reflection, um, a day of rest, um, or whatever was needed. Um, and so, Jasmine, how are you doing? How are you feeling about the new year? Um, any goals that you have that you want to share with listeners? The new year is great. 2024, I feel like it's everybody's Kobe year. I kept saying that on New Year's Eve. I was like, it's everybody's Kobe year. And that just means like, turn it up. Let's just, let's all just turn up. I think we were all already, I'll say for myself, I feel like I was already doing a lot of things well in the end of 22 and throughout 2023. So I'm just going to keep being steadfast in what I was already doing. It's not too many things that I want to change. I feel like in fitness, I was doing well. Um, in my finances, there's always room for improvement. So just like trying to keep going with what I had put into place last year and making sure I, I can be consistent throughout 2024. But how about you, Nima? What are you kind of looking forward to? Yeah, I love that. I um, think it was the first. Um, my Pilates instructor, after we were burning up in the 90 degree room, he was saying more in 2024. So that's like my hashtag in my mind of like 2024 is the year to do more. Like you said, um, it's still an acknowledging rest, but uh, staying on track was what um, was what was already being done. I've been thinking a lot about health. Um, my sugar intake, whether it's like known or unknown, but just being more intentional about what I'm putting in my body and again, rest, making sure I'm sleeping and taking care of myself too. So that's how I'm feeling this year. Um, well, today we have a very special guest with us all the way from Dallas, Texas. Um, we'll introduce uh, him shortly, um, but as a follow-up to our Why Aren't Kids Playing Outside episode that we released earlier this season, we wanted to speak to a professional who is actually working with youth on a day-to-day -day basis to get covered two sides of that topic. One, how to physically plan spaces for the youth, but then how do you teach the youth about how to engage in their built environment and what they should care about and what they should be curious about, even from 
a young age. So that's what we'll be talking about today. Um, and to do this, we'll be using the lens of the Urban Land Institute's urban plan program. And so I'll turn it over to Jasmine to share a little bit more about what that is. Yeah, just high level. So ULI Urban Land Institute is a global professional organization for all people involved in the built environment, for real estate professionals, for urban planners, for architects, for transportation professionals, uh, for real estate attorneys, anyone involved in the built environment at all. And so they created a kind of student teaching organization or program called Urban Plan in which they enter into high schools um, and work with teachers to teach students about urban planning. And so a lot of it is like Lego based and on zoning and um, teaching them about both urban planning, commercial real estate and the built environment broadly. And so just to go over some high level facts about urban plan and its reach so far, in the 2021 and 2022 school year, they reached over 3,000 3, high school students across nearly 160 classrooms in 74 high schools. 35 universities um, ran urban plan programs. So that was ran out of their MBA, their real estate, their city and regional planning programs, or their architecture programs in the same school year. And a lot of the ULI members like Kevin, who's going to be joining us in a second, also were the facilitators of urban plan. And so they have about 2,500 ULI members who participate in urban plan through their local councils, meaning like the Dallas Council of ULI or the Northern New Jersey Council of ULI has also led these urban plan programs with students in their regions. ULI members engage nearly 3,000 public sector decision makers through urban plan. So part of urban plan, which we'll get into in our interview is that the students have to then make a presentation to a local government official or some decision maker in their area. And so reaching nearly 300 of those decision makers is a really big feat. And so in total, there were over 7,000 participants in the program from 2021 and 2022. And so new, the teachers in the different schools are the ones who volunteer their time to facilitate urban plan in their classrooms. And so they added nearly 300 new volunteers in that same school year. And so it's a growing program. You can, if you are a decision maker in your city or you are a teacher or you're a student who's interested in it, you can bring it to your school if you reach out to ULI and your ULI district council. Um, and we'll have in the show notes too all the information on urban plan um, for those who are listening and want to get in touch as well. Um, but without further ado, um, we welcome Kevin Miles. Um, I'll read his bio and then we will get into the questions. So Kevin Miles is from Dallas, Texas, and was a high school All-American basketball player. In 1992, he signed at Oklahoma State University to play on a full basketball scholarship and was a member of the 1995 Final Four team. He received a Bachelor of Business Administration and minored in sports marketing. Then he completed his EMBA from Texas Women's University in Denton, Texas. Mr. Miles serves as the chair of the Urban Land Institute, Dallas-Fort Worth Pathways to Inclusion Committee, or PTI, and works very closely with national ULI's diversity, equity, and inclusion team to help promote and develop PTI and BIPOC members, Black, Indigenous, people of color. 
He is one of ULI's national instructors and is also an educational consultant specializing in career and technology education. He wears many other hats, including serving as the urban planning community development course developer for Dallas Townview School of Business and Management, and continues to serve as an adjunct instructor for Dallas College. Mr. Miles also serves as the Director of External Relations for Townview School of Business and Management, where he works to develop corporate and community relationships within the local business community. Mr. Miles is passionate about equipping teachers and community volunteers with practices, tools, and resources that will drive student learning outcomes within urban planning and community development. In 2025, Mr. Miles will help lead a diverse team of Pathways to Inclusions professionals to create urban planning, community development, students of America. The team will launch from Dallas, Texas with about 200 student members. The organization is expected to grow into a national organization within five years. He is set to retire this spring and has already begun creating the groundwork on his lifelong mission, which is establishing a national career and technology student leadership organization. Mr. Miles believes that developing a feeder pattern, not a pipeline, of skilled and diverse student leaders is absolutely essential to positively impact the future of the built environment. Welcome, Kevin Miles. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Um, we are so excited to have you. Um, and we can see you've accomplished a lot around education and student development. Um, but I thought it was particularly interesting to distinguish the difference between a feeder pattern and a pipeline. Can you elaborate on the intention behind that and why your priority is creating a feeder pattern? Okay, thanks, Jazz and Nemo, and thank you, and happy New Year's to everyone. And, um, <clears throat> you know, the feeder pattern, feeder pattern, when you start thinking of it, you're thinking about culture. Pipeline is not so personal because the pipeline industry is based on uh, an old ancient assembly line product that we're using. And it's usually not taking into consideration the cultural uh, implications that's found in our community. So we want to start developing the, the, a diverse set of skill sets within our student body population, but also bring about uh, the defining culture that are sensitive to the issues that we see day to day in our community. So my name is Kevin Miles. Again, I'm glad to be here and my pronouns are he and him. My verbs are focused and evolving and my adjectives are restorative and collaborative because I believe that we must be collaborative in order to do and reach these years. Wow, I love the verbs and the adjectives. That's a new one. Nemo and I sometimes use pronouns, but I think verbs and adjectives is a great way. So I'm gonna, I might try to implement that for us moving forward. <laughs> one thing I, I read in your, your larger bio was around your family's history and being city managers and community developers. Is there anything else you want to tell us about your background and your experiences that kind of led you to where you are today? Well, um, early exposure, of course, my background, is I played basketball and I was singularly focused in basketball early on, as most kids are. They take a overinvestment in sports and entertainment. Um, but I had family members who were in the industry and they really put proper coaches and mentors who invested in me early on. I remember my first internship uh, being in working with the Dallas Cowboys. And I, you guys probably know your older, your first hand-me-down 
automobile. I don't know what you guys have, but mine was a 1974 green Nova. And um, of course, I'm from Pleasant Grove, southeast area of Dallas, Texas. And the whole thing was, is there's nothing pleasant about the Grove. That was the joke. And it's it was a joke and, and growing up, but imagine uh, that lack of value. Uh, you're growing up in a community that sees no value in it. And so it was a socially, economically distressed area where you had dilapidated buildings, hospitals, the schools were dated. And so you just kind of embrace poverty in a way that, you know, just being immersed in poverty, you don't even understand the implications of poverty until you get out. So the internship opportunity was able uh, that I had with my uncle was my first time to get out and work with professionals. And that just happened to happen with my my uh, my family members. And when I say family members, I use those coaches as family members as well, because you never really forget a coach. I drove, let me say this, I drove from uh, Pleasant Grove to Valley Ranch. Valley Ranch is where my, um, where the Dallas Cowboys practice facilities was. And it was about 45 minute one way commute. And that, that was the first time I started thinking about extreme commuting, right? Because the, the hourly rate there was, I've made $6.50 an hour back then. And I think the the average, the minimum wage was like $4.25. So I went out to drove my green machine out there, but, you know, across the bridges and counties. And I just started noticing, you know, the <laughs> the disruption in the roads, you start seeing in like in my community, there was a lot of uh, payday, quick loans, bla uh, plasma centers. There was a lot of alcohol, fast food chains. But when you got out further out, even the roads, you felt the difference in the roads and the space. And you start seeing uh, the the you noted the change. So it wasn't until I got out and start using basketball as a tool, flying around and getting those exposures. It did a good thing to me in terms of enhancing my scope, but it also, it really showed me that I was within, I was poor and that my community was really needing assistance. So that curiosity drove me into this space. Thank you for sharing that um, and being able to really paint that vivid picture of seeing the change in your, from your neighborhood to what you were being exposed to um, through mm -hmm. basketball. That's, that's really powerful. Um, and when taking all of that curiosity together, when did you, I guess, identify or put a name to it as, oh, this is a profession or this is a specific field um, that is that's out there? Oh, you know, that's a good question. That ties into my why, actually. Uh, and my why ties into my identity and belief system. So I strongly believe in the future and the and leadership potential that's locked inside of our youth. And someone believed in me, right? So uh, I'm really just giving back to what I've seen. Uh, someone took the time uh, and connect the dots between the built environment, community, and education for me. And so that's my give back. And if I'm going to be optimistic about our future, I have no choice to, to believe in the potential of our youth. But I also uh, believe that, you know, and respect the urgency and process that it takes to cultivate and develop this potential. So, you know, it's frightening, it's really very frightening to think of the future of the built environment without simultaneously nourishing and cultivating the leadership potential within our youth. You know, I ask myself all the time, will the next generation be ready to meet, you know, these challenges of these emerging world marketplace? 
you know, it's, it's something that my story ties into as a young, young adult and even as an adult today, because I entered into this space very, very late. Um, in fact, in 2022, I was afforded the opportunity to attend a health uh, occupations conference in Tennessee. And at this conference, the keynote speaker shows statistical data on the critical shortage of healthcare providers and urgently made a plea for action uh, to other leaders who could potentially influence policies. Uh, the existing physicians were you know, beginning to burn out, trying to keep up with the needs of a growing and aging population. Uh, but you know, the speaker was very charismatic. You know, he showed charts and visuals that, the, that he was illustrating to the audience as he was predicting a terrible forecast on the healthcare industry. But <clears throat> although the trajectory was horrible, I respected the response of the people and the leaders that was in the room because they didn't just sit on their hands, they impassively wait until these outcomes came true. Instead, they pulled themselves together and as a collective did something about it. So since then, Tennessee has enacted policies to ensure that the healthcare needs of their communities are met by allowing credentialing international foreign physicians to practice under the authority of a regulatory body set to start take place in July, 2024. So, and remember, I remember just kind of vividly sitting in the conference, listening to the speaker, and immediately my mind raced to urban planning community development and at how at the core, we have been tasked with an enormous responsibility to anticipate the often changing needs of our growing diverse population. And so we all know the face of the industry doesn't nearly reflect the, the population and the growing <clears throat> and the growth, both in size and influence. So we, with Urban Plan and with ULI, I would like to see more and more utilize the Urban Plan to get into underserved communities to kickstart this, uh, this, <clears throat> this movement, because I do believe it's a, it's a movement. Um, uh, the keynote speaker again, he, and I want to say this because I have my notes here. He used a biblical verse to describe the critical, uh, healthcare shortage. And I'd like to share the scripture that the speaker referenced, uh, you know, to highlight the despairs within our community. If I may, it, it was not necessarily religion, no. religion. Yeah, religion. go ahead. Okay. So the scripture is found in the book of Jeremiah, uh, chapter eight, verses 22. Jeremiah 8 verses 22 and it reads is there not a bomb in Gilead where are the physicians why are the health of the women and children so declining so the speaker noted that the passage posed three essential questions number one is is there not a bomb in Gilead that's a question of resources so Gilead much like our country was full of resources and untapped potential that was never really quite cultivated. The number two, he asked, well, where are the physicians? You know, the skilled healthcare providers who are committed and took an oath to do this work. Where are the laborers meet, uh, uh, to meet these changing demands of, of the population? And number three, which I thought was critical is, where are the health, why are the health of the women and children declining? When we drive around our underserved communities and see all the long-standing challenges, because it's nothing new, city by city, you know, the, I always say that the challenges are all similar, but the solutions vary greatly, right? 
but the challenge is all the similar. And as leaders, we must ask ourselves serious questions in this space. Why is there not enough affordable housing? Why is there enough, not, uh, why is the uh, uh, homeless population increasing? Why are funding for parks and recreation declining while the demand for open green space is increasing? So is there a bomb for our urban communities? You know, so I always say, we got to provide a, a customized solutions that's suitable for where we are now and where we are projected to be about 10 to 15 years from now. And most of all, where are the emerging black and brown urban planning and community development professionals that will be able to influence policies and lead this charge? So that's just not my why. That's now my war cry. <laughs> so my why is my war cry. Then we get a t-shirt <laughs> that says my why is my war cry because we have to be able to, if we want to see positive change come out of these emerging markets, then we must exercise our rights to empower and equip our youth to meet the diverse challenges through the lens of uh, DEI. And we know that DEI is under attack. Uh, in fact, there's a nonprofit organization in Dallas that has filed a huge suit against DEI. So we're going to have to uh, get here while we have a seat at the table and move, and move with haste and move strategically and move as a collective. I think that scripture that you shared um, is, I know you were saying that they were reading it at like a physician's conference, acknowledging the, the lack, mm -hmm. but I appreciate your connection to urban planning, right? Like there are quote unquote bombs existing in all of these neighborhoods, whether it be the lack of grocery stores and the overabundance of liquor. And, and now that in California, marijuana is legal with dispensaries and all of these things, uh, the quality of schools, it, it definitely is something that fits the mold for planning and the, what, what planners are kind of instructed to do, which is to improve the quality of life for people through the built environment. And it's interesting that you shared your journey traveling from your home to the uh, Cowboys facility and how you could see as you traveled over time, the changing in neighborhoods. And Nemo and I had similar experiences going to different communities while we were younger and we had the same question. Our question was, why is this like this? Like somebody's, and Jim Jones is always like, who's in charge? Somebody is in charge. Um, somebody is designing neighborhoods. Somebody is, uh, is making these zoning permits available. Somebody is permitting these businesses to exist. And those people are the decision makers that students who participate in urban plan in, in your program at your school are in communication with. And so I think that's what drove me to be a planner, that's what drove Nemo to be a planner is realizing like, yes, there are these differences, but they're not because something's wrong with my community. There's not because something's wrong with my people. It's because we are seen as being undervalued and underappreciated. And so, so you shared a lot about your why and how you became interested in city planning and community development. I'm curious as to when, what was it like for you to decide, okay, we want to bring urban plan to our school and how did you get involved and, and what was the reason why you wanted to bring that in for your students? Uh, when I got engaged with urban plan, well, you are like pathways to inclusion where again, that's, 
uh, ULI's way of bringing women and, and people of color into this space, um, I noticed that the problem is our late entry into the space. And unfortunately, many BIPOC members and organizations are just getting a seat at the table late. In fact, the average age range of PTI members who are entering in space about 28 to 30, and that's just way too late. So I wanted to really uh, change that, that narrative because many of our late entry leaders are taking on tremendous tasks of transformation and find themselves frustrated uh, by the learning curve because they're oftentimes isolated, but they're learning as they go. And the frustration looks like, you know, flapping and falling because the demands and challenges are so great, no matter their level of commitment or their resiliency, our people are usually isolated and they will burn out, right? So it's inevitable, they will burn out. So we must bring in reinforcements by recruiting fresh legs and teach them the importance of collaboration and, and working as a team. So that's why we really want, we found all of that in the urban plan and using urban plan as a tool. So if we really anticipate uh, seeing a brighter future, you know, again, it's imperative that we start as early as the eighth grade. And that's what we said, uh, you know, Dr. Seuss even said it in his thing. He said, unless someone likes you cares a whole, whole lot, things are not gonna get better. It's just not. And the kids laugh at me when I say that, but it's so true. We got to, it's urgent, you know, because our populations are changing and someone needs to lead. We talk about empathetic leadership. Uh, affordable housing is in the backdrop of empathetic leadership. So my why, again, is an acknowledgement of my, uh, that I'm a byproduct or function of my environment in which I plant it. You know, that Southeast Dallas that I remember I told you, you call it Pleasant Grove. Um, it it had large hospitals, 400,000 square feet that's still sitting there today. Commercial real estate spaces that are still boarded up for over 25 plus years. So it kind of goes back to the why. We wanted to say, hey, look into, the, look into our community and let's dig into cultural issues that's related around poverty. And we tack poverty through like Dr. Ruby Payne's issues saying that, you know, we continue to just throw money at poverty. Uh, you know, she's, I really studied her. I liked her when she discussed the framework of poverty. If we continue to just think poverty is just a lack of resources, then we're lost altogether. But we, we uh, kind of coin poverty as that poor passing over opportunities repeatedly. So when we're driving by our communities, if we can get our kids to start imagining and repurposing their communities by having curated tours and showing them uh, and having them close to city council members and, and bringing them into this space, then they will inevitably start seeing vision for their community because poor is cultural, poor is a perspective, poor is lack of, of, of vision and commitment. So we got to be able to, uh, you know, inspire that change within our youth. And we start that with the urban plan because urban plan with Legos is a friendly place, uh, place to have dusty, uh, difficult conversations. You know, you, you know, the Legos are, you know, I would like to say an entry level, you know, you can have uh, dis you can discuss things like race and inequalities and discrimination 
if if that trained instructor is really uh, culturally sensitive, you can create safe spaces where students can have authentic conversations about um, things within their community. For example, when I first started, um, we would talk about curated tours. I didn't have a budget. So we had to, I told the kids, hey, we're going to get excited about going on a field trip. We were like, well, this is a day of, you're just full of it. You know, you're not going to do this. So we just walked around the school. And when we walked around the school, again, that same school that was built in 1995, I took them around the water fountains and, and you know, gave them stories around the water fountains. Like, why are you not drinking out of these water fountains? And they were all joking, like, man, you can hear it before you see it. It can, it's gargling up and you can see green residue that's building up about it uh, uh, around the spout. And I said, well, <clears throat> with that, you pass over these water fountains all day long, but you don't set forth a demand on your environment. You know, these water fountains are supposed to be functioning. If you go into other areas and we showed them other schools and, and other airports and stuff, how they had clean filtered water. Well, why don't you make that expectation and demand from your school? And so then we went further to show them that talk talk about the past of how we were kept from the water fountains. This used to say like whites only. So then we tie, tie into history, go into black history. And then we showed them that if you don't see value in your community, some type of exploitation can occur. And then we showed them all of the vending machines that are selling water bottles. So we kind of tie those we need more culti cultivated tours in safe places where the kids can ask real difficult conversations because we want them to be critical thinkers, but we want them to also be advocates, not, a, not afraid to, we don't want them shying away from tough discussions. So we use Urban Plan as a introduction to that because Urban Plan as a standalone isn't good enough. It's, it really relies on the preparation of that classroom instructor. Yeah, I know earlier when you mentioned your um, your why and really tying it back to that urgency of the education of what will the future look like if young people are not even aware or are not seeing it through that lens of change and advocacy. Um, and before we started this call, um, I was sharing how I discovered urban planning as a senior in high school. And just reflecting on that, it feels like it was yesterday. And now I've been in a position for the last five years of my career where I can make decisions that impact residents and I impact policy decisions. Um, and uh, I think I can imagine that for the students in urban plan, they may seem like that part of their career is really far away, um, but then one day they wake up and then they're there. And then the, the future is also relying on them and then they're now teaching um, the next generation um, before listeners, um, curious residents, um, maybe a student who's listening to the call, um, what does that curriculum look like? I think that tour example that you gave was so, um, so beautiful. Um, and what type of training is involved in preparing curriculums for urban plan on a day-to-day -day basis or throughout the school year? Our curriculum is centered within our program of work, and it consists of, you know, a mirror of best practices and a soft blend of proven educational methodologies. You know, our program lead is led by our advisory committee, which is a bunch of professionals, industry professionals, uh, higher ed, um, parents, uh, administrators. But we wanted to ensure that we started the curriculum as, the, as early as the eighth grade. 
So, so during the eighth grade, the students are taking courses like principles of business, marketing, and finance. And keep, we call it PBMF. And we will introduce the various CRE industry professionals to help, it, it, to help them go through this uh, career investigation. So we have professionals coming in. We call this the five E's. Uh, it's an educational model that we, with the professionals, we explain to them where we're, the direction that we're wanting for the kids and the parents. So we meet with the parents as well as far as starting the eighth grade. And we create a personalized uh, a personalized e-portfolio. So they'll have this e-portfolio all the way developed and they'll put their project, projects they worked on and reference letters all within this e-portfolio by the time they get out their senior year. And they'll use those, those products as promotional uh, areas where they can go out and earn internships. So we're not giving them anyone. So that's destroying the narrative of BAI because oftentimes the backlash is we're just giving something. Well, we have a portfolio that's deep and rich and we have a prepared student body that started at their, in eighth grade. So PPMF serves as a great foundational course that the students can take along with that curated tours and public and private field trips and guest speakers. So during their ninth grade year, uh, the students will continue to investigate the careers while taking entrepreneurship courses. So we believe that students must be equipped with the tools necessary to own their own business. If we're ever gonna talk and discuss multi-generational wealth, uh, their 10th grade year, the students will focus on business law, sports and entertainment, marketing, and social media. Now, <clears throat> This is a critical year, their sophomore year, because we also introduce urban plan to them their sophomore year. But we emphasize these courses because what is happening within our communities and the at-large NIL deals that are worth millions of dollars. So companies are targeting our gifted and talented uh, athletes and entertainers. You know, that's when they'll come into our schools only and offer them a large sum of money in, in which young people are quickly uh, burning through and wasting. So in the NBA, NFL, professionals can <clears throat> play for years and end up broke. So how much more can these high school uh, and college students end up broke? So these courses are designed to teach our kids how contracts work and that it's important to read the fine lines. And so that's in business law. But it's also showing us within the commercial real estate pace, we'll have real estate attorneys coming in and discussing business law. So one of the uh, creative uses for the sports and entertainment is how we use uh, fantasy football and fantasy basketball to teach financial literacy and investment strategies. You know, we challenge our students who found success in tracking the performance of an athlete. If you can track the performance of an athlete, then those are transferable skills. You can then transfer those skills to track the performance of companies, mutual funds, and stocks. So these courses are uniquely designed to empower and introduce the uh, financial literacy while guarding against exploitation. So we initiate economic development by you know, creating a, an investor's mindset within their sophomore year. So all together, we're, then we introduce urban planning. So urban planning, again, as a standalone, it's not enough. It's gotta be placed within, inside of the school day because we found out whenever you, try to offer programming outside of the school day because of lack of transportation and all these other issues that we may have within our community, the, the uh, interest level 
and not just the interest level, but the amount of people, partic student participants, oftentimes decline. So we we make it harmoniously entwined within our curriculum and our day-to-day -day to make it co-curricular. So I'm going to tell you their junior and senior year. So during their students' junior year, they take fundamentals of real estate, and it goes out into a, they then go into small groups, right? So we have them begin working on their capstone projects. Well, these capstone projects are projects that they are assigned, you know, st students are assigned mentors and they select real projects within the community. <clears throat> these are those projects that I was telling you earlier that goes into their e-portfolio, but the students are also flown out to colleges. So we then use those uh, projects to uh, really put them in their portfolio for scholarships. So if you look at it, that's resembling what I had when I was a youth. Uh, I was flown out to colleges. I participated in different uh, projects and all of that, I wanted to return that same feel and dynamic to our students. And that's kind of what's happening here. That's what Nemo was illustrating. She got into the thing very, very early, uh, got into her career pathway very, very early based on uh, her exposure. So, during their senior year, they get the opportunity to take all of those uh, skills and become a practitioner of those skills through rotations. So they'll rotate through like AT&T or CBRE, and they'll rotate through, you know, they'll be assigned. Uh, <clears throat> essentially, the business will open up their doors to serve as a training site for our students. And so these are uh, real MOUs that we put in place so that the the visiting uh, students who will get a grade by during their rotation, it's worth 30% of their grade. So the, the employer would maybe accounting, finance, law, uh, marketing. So whatever department they're in, they'll be in there within a nine week period and they must be able to produce uh, on certain projects within those nine weeks. So that's very, very good because usually you, those doors is opening on, during their grad level. You know, so their senior year, they're also responsible for going out back to the eighth grade and demonstrating what they've learned to those eighth graders who are wanting to get into urban planning, community development. So it's cyclical and there's no one that can better market our program than our students. So you talked a lot about what the students do in this e-portfolio. So I'm curious and we're curious if you can give us some examples. You mentioned CBRE, you mentioned uh AT&T, can you give us some examples of some students that worked on programs that were in the community or some community development um, internships or things that they were putting in their portfolio that are examples you can highlight for us? Mm -hmm. So one of the ones that, and we send those, they go in, into a competition. We are actually we go, going into a competition called Global Economic Symposium. We go, we take our uh, our work that we've done in the community and we compete against other schools. And so this global economic symposium is set forth in March and we're gonna be at Northeastern College. Um, and we we'll also tour uh, Harvard and we'll tour MIT while we're there. But um, last year our students finished uh, third in this global economic symposium and they did light pollution. So they were talking about how light pollution uh, rerouted and changed the how birds flew into the community, how that disrupted our ecosystem and how they were encouraging people to make simple, simple changes where, where they asked to put blue 
lamps or uh, uh, covers or turn your lights downward so they wouldn't continue to disrupt this pattern and how those that disruption infected impacted uh, agriculture. And, you know, it was just so they end up placing third. One of the one of the uh, projects that we're working on next year, that's going to be 2024, 2025. And I'm going to hand this off to whoever my replacement is. I'm creating a playbook that I leave behind is through DART. So DART is our, is our rapid transit and it's uh, one of the largest, if not the largest in the country. So it's, it's 93 miles, but based on the size of DART, it has the, in the population size, it's the most underutilized. So our kids are going to be digging into the why on that and working with uh, professionals and industry professionals try to encourage more students, more people to utilize this transit system that's, you know, people is dump millions and millions of dollars into this system that's is very well. I mean, if you look at the state of the art, it's clean. It goes to a lot of places, but again, it has its issues like the walkability scores when you look at around where they drop off and how it leads to parks and communities, it's very low. So there's still work to be done, but we want our students to get into that work and talk, discuss the psychographics behind it. Like, why are people not using DART? You know, uh, um, they'll, you know, put the study and research behind it and provide uh, alternate solutions. And that is for the students who would be, the age group for that would be 11th, 10th and 11th grade? 11th grade because 11th that, grade mm -hmm. so they'll start on that and it'll take two years for them to uh, put together their full proposal and that'll be their senior capstone project and so what I love about and why I'm so glad that we have you on the show is because your school and the work that you're doing has taken that urban plan model and completely curated it specifically to your students in the neighborhood that your school is within. And then, so it goes beyond in afters. I think most urban plan programs are structured where it's like an after school program. You come for 30 minutes for a couple of weeks, you work on, you look at a map of your neighbor and you might move some Legos and building blocks around and get a feel for how your neighborhood is designed. But I love that yourself and the other teachers and facilitators and the students really have intertwined it into all of the other business and management and law programming that happens at your school because mm -hmm. I think the biggest thing with planning and with community development is it's not isolated it is it is all of those other aspects and all those other professions together yeah Jess typically uh if I want a sustainable model and that's what I'm working with ULI on because usually the ULI and urban plan goes way based on how the instructor goes. So if that instructor of record or that champion leaves, then the all the momentum also shifts. And so I'm huge on leadership. So leadership is like if I'm my my measurement of a true leader is what is this program gonna look like when I'm gone? Can it be sustainable? So it's always it's gotta be sustainable. And right now, uh you know, unless it's a holistic programming that's intentional, then it's, it's, it won't be sustainable. And what you'll do, you're, you'll get the excitement from the students, but then it'll just die out. Because, you know, I, I, I like to say this, if we're going to really do a big change, look what happened in the 90s with Michael Jordan. <clears throat> Michael Jordan came into the 90s in basketball, and he put it basketball on a global scene. 
So as a result, people start playing basketball earlier all across the country. Now you fast forward 20 plus years from, uh, from now, and you're looking at, you can't even pronounce the names of the MVPs that's in the NBA. And because things got pushed down and it was intentional, we start working towards uh, exposure early. And that's the same thing in this environment. We got to get it in the communities. Unfortunately, we got to press beyond sports and entertainment. And so I want to, I try to use sports and entertainment and NIL and my friends who used to, who used to play pro basketball and bring them back into this engagement. Because, you know, we love the idea of the urban plan. It's, it's great. It's a great tool. It's safe to discuss and emulate the very sensitive political, economical, and social cultural issues that we face every day in our underserved communities. Yeah, um, I love that steward leadership that you mentioned about how this will all look, um, you know, when you are no longer the lead for it. Um, and we did mention in your bio that you will um, be retiring this spring. Um, I can only imagine, I'm like, I'm trying to be in your class. I can only imagine these <laughs> students who know that you are, who know that you may be on your way out. And um, uh, I'm also curious if uh, now this being a town view school, being a choice school, if families are aware of this um, amazing uh, cultivated program that you've built out and if they are um, tapping into it as well, um, depending on how, you know, how long are their awareness. Um, but I say all that to say, um, how does the structure that you've built at Townview School relate to the National Career and Techno Technology Student Leadership Organization that you're building or the Urban Planning Community Development Students of America? So from either of those um, continuation projects that you mentioned, how will people be able to, um, you know, get a grasp at what you've been doing at Townview School? So with the CTSO, CTSO's Career Technology Student Organizations for our listeners again, um, it's not a club, uh, you know, it's really a student-led organization. So we really focus in on student advocation. And when the students, and we bring the students and parents together so they can create their own chapters with their own bylaws. And so what I am hoping to do is get other PTI members to get uh, together to create a framework. That's why I'm working with nationals of best practices so that we can go uh, and start in sc underserved schools and start uh, setting up these uh, student organizations. So the UPCD is Urban Plan Community Development Students of America. And we want uh, our local district councils within ULI to embrace the, the uh, bring together the city, the school, and we really go in and we demonstrate and set up the student leadership structure and foundation for the schools, which means tapping into being that bridge and that voice between community, the built environment, and the education system. Once these uh, these leaders come together, we help facilitate and foster that change by student leadership development. So they'll conduct their own, they'll have their own officers, they'll have they'll conduct their own fundraisers, their own community service events, and we'll make it all co-curricular because urban plan. And ULI also have an urban learning institute. <clears throat> and with the urban learning institute, it's a, you know, the urban plan started off as an education and research hub. Now it's this ginormous organization that has many different swinging parts and has different niche groups and affinity groups. And so you can easily be lost when you enter into this thing late. Like I did, I was uh, late entering in. And so 
when you are late again late getting into the uh organization i'm all, i'm gonna be 50 in, in a few days like three days january 8th and so i started in uli what two and a half two years ago and so <clears throat> i'm saying we want to be able to connect uli and upcd and allow um the change to take place community by community through their through through the empowerment of their BIPOC uh, members and PTI members. So what that looks like in the community, it looks like uh, those service learning projects, those training plan agreements, those MOUs, you know, the adults building the structure, but the con the continuation and responsibility is going to be placed on our aspiring youth. We call that aspiring communities. We say that aspiring communities is going to be made by those aspiring individuals to make the sacrifice and commitment towards this organization. So, and it's not something new. Uh, these uh, CTSOs have been around for years, amazingly in the 1940s, but they wasn't necessarily catering to us per se, uh, people of color. But with this, it's gonna be the first of its kind because it's going to get it down to the cultural fabrics of the community. And so we all, we always know this in what happens, what these CTSOs have in common, which is equip, educate, and empower. But edification is our E that distinguish ourselves from others. So being able to edify, to edify the individual, edify the family, and to bring and promote value within our oneself and the community. So that's the difference. We need more PTI members that's going to come out and give back to the schools, mentor kids. So it's serving leadership. Well, happy early birthday. We'll like to say that to you on the podcast. Should we sing? Should we do the CV Wonder version <laughs> and, and sing <laughs> to you for your birthday? I thank you guys. I appreciate it. But, you know, it's, it's you know, they says retired. I'm going to just do it again. I'm going to really go out and and try this thing again and uh, set up new uh, transitions for this new population of, of leaders that's coming in. I'm excited about that. And so thinking about that new generation of leaders, I'm sure students from your school graduate, you know, every year. What are they, mm -hmm. any of the students that were, that participated in Urban Plan and Community Development Centers of America, have they gone on to careers in the profession or kind of what are they up to now? Yes, yes. So um, <clears throat> to give you a little background, we had a struggle uh, implementing uh, CRE in urban planning community development within the program, within the uh, school, because all of the bureaucracy that happens within the state. So TEA is Texas Education Agency. And under that uh our career tech is career technology has uh, federal funds that we call the uh, basically the Paul Perkins Act, and so on these funds, you it's going to have to really demonstrate workable, livable wages, and the way the number one way you uh, demonstrate that is through certifications that leads towards employment, and so uh, the initial planners on the state level uh, just thought uh, residential. You know, we're going to produce the only license that's available is uh, for them to get their residential and, and serve as a real estate agent. And, you know, we're, we're, that's why it's good to have an advisory committee because we showed them how many people had their real estate license and wasn't even using it. And it was saturated. 
not to say it's a bad thing, but there's a whole other world in this other environment that's all inclusive of finance, accounting, management, marketing. And so, but we didn't per se have a, a state approved license, but everyone has been supported because of the, of the, all of the, the community that's come in and, you know, and wrapped their arms around our students and all has said, hey, we love the direction that this is going. And so now I invite people from different states to come in and take a look at it because my next goal personally is to take a group and work with ULI and their DEI committee and work for uh, work with underserved schools to put these programs in underserved schools. Yeah, it is a challenge, right? I think even, uh, so I work in commercial real estate and when I tell people that I work in commercial real estate or I tell people I work in real estate just broadly, they're like, oh, so you're an agent. And I'm like, no, I work on the lend." And so it is, there is a huge misconception. And I think that's part of the, the power of what you're doing that real estate is selling single family homes, but there's a whole area of finance and underwriting and the legal components of it all that are very valid professions, but they do not necessarily have, um, a license, even with a planner, I think only in the state of New Jersey is one where you have a professional planner license. You can get certified like AICP, which is American Institute of Certified Planners, but it's not necessarily a state by state kind of thing. So I completely understand that yeah. as being a challenge. As you know, CRE draws from a number of disciplines. You know, you talk to architect, engineering, economics, sociology, public health. I mean, the list goes on and on, but Finding your niche within this industry is one thing, but then you must, you know, it's very relational. So you must find your network within that niche. You know, I like to call that network the private room within the room. You know, so prayerfully, our, uh, you know, our high school students have been plugged into ULI, you know, because it's never too early to uh, plug in and become members. But to answer your question, they've gone to um, uh, University of Miami. We've had two go to University of Miami and go into their urban planning. We have two uh, graduates. This is last year that the unit went to University of Texas in Austin and other two went to University of Texas at Dallas. But and they're really specifically working on urban planning and community development. Others have did a general scope. They uh, have a specialty or a concentration within finance. And I really put that to the early exposure that remember that PBMF in the eighth grade year, the early exposure to investments and, and uh, investment strategies, you, you really, um, you know, you really prompt students to take a good look at that when you get them early exposure. That's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I think that is so, so great to hear that a few of the students have gone in with a, that specific finance concentration. I know for me, my experience in planning, um, a lot of the finance classes, I felt intimidated. Um, one, already being one of few Black students in the program, but then seeing that it was all the white men taking the finance classes and, you know, that internalized imposter syndrome and self-doubt. So knowing that if I was exposed to that in eighth grade, I'm like, well, I'm not afraid of these numbers. I can do this too. I can be in the room and I know what I'm talking about. So um, for me, that part was a little bit later where I ended up in um, budget and finance, but um, it felt like I was kind of just like accidentally dropped, dropped or thrown into it versus walking into it confidently and seeing that this is something that I'm interested in. And I think it's so important to have planners in the finance spaces. I've had some colleagues that also have planning backgrounds that have, you know, in the 
um, had those finance positions. And we really see the city from a full view um, when making those budget decisions that impact policy versus simply just seeing it as numbers moving. Um, and, you know, I think an example you mentioned earlier of just like with health and um, parks and rec, the health side, seeing that um, uh, the stats for obesity, um, chronic illness are going up and we know what the solution is, which is getting outside, moving your body and then taking those opportunities away. And so from thinking about the budget, the budget space, I could go on. So I'm going to stop. Um, no, but that's good. That's really good. From that that's full view. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, this also reminds me of a program I did in high school called Advancing Leadership Youth that was um, sponsored by our towns uh, in Washington State, um, Federal Way, Washington. It was sponsored by the town's Chamber of Commerce and it was um, uh, it exposed us to nonprofits, city council leaders, um, different business owners in the in the city. And again, another example where I didn't know that that sophomore year of high school was going to I was going to turn around and be right in that space in my in my person in my professional career. I was just like, oh, this leadership this sounds cool. I'll do this. Um, and then seeing how it impacts impacts you later on and the choices that you make. Um, but if I, uh, I know we're getting to the end of time. And one thing that we like to do is just reflect on the episode and any takeaways. Um, I know you mentioned the scripture early jazz and I appreciate church any day of the week, any time <laughs> we, we ask, people Amen, to come Jesus. On. <laughs> we ask people to come on here and preach. So that is always welcomed. Um, and yeah. so we're just so grateful for that. Um, Thank but, um, I will uh, start with jazz. If you have any takeaways from today's episode. So listening to this episode and, and listening to you, Kevin, I'm just kind of in awe of everything that you've done at your school in Dallas area. I think when you started telling us about how focused you were in basketball and how basketball led you to an internship at the Cowboys Stadium with Jerry Jones and just in your general commute to your internship from your home, you saw all these changes and you went on to have a career in education. And now you're back kind of building that gap between community development, urban planning, education, business, finance, et cetera. I'm just always struck in by how like life has so many purpose, how life has so big of a purpose that you really don't know what's going on until like you're about to be 50 and you look around and you're like, how everything has come together. And so I'm, I'm really appreciative for you sharing your story, but what I want to say on my side is that I think the, anytime students can be involved in any kind of career or professional development programming at a very early age, whether or not they choose to then study urban planning is immaterial. It's really about all of the technical skills and the soft skills that they gain in the process. And yes, we will want all of them to go back and shape their community, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they have to be a planner or they have to be someone that works in commercial real estate. They can be an attorney that does real estate law and all these different professions. And so I think this is an amazing program. I love that you guys have taken it from just the Legos and the building blocks, which have their purpose and have their beginning stages. But I love how you intertwined it into what's going on, not only outside in the, in the world, but what's going on in your immediate neighborhood. And then you tell Nick about you walked around the school and compared the water fountains and all these different things and, and connecting the lack of quality amenities to exploitation, I think has, was, was just put the needle on the head in terms of where urban planning and real estate lack and how they've done a disservice to 
the larger community. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the drawbacks, again, is the, you know, education failure to adapt. You know, we must be able to pivot and adapt to the changes within the industry because industry really leads education. And but failure to do so would cause these huge gaps. And as a result of these gaps, education will lose the competence of the community and it'll be deemed irrelevant. And I think we're starting to see that. That's why I like the choice schools, because it forces innovation, because the students are passing over their home schools to come to something unique. So it forces us to stay unique. I mean, innovative and cutting edge. And so they allow that creativity at our school, because if not, the students would just fall back. And, and so this parents even expected expect uh, um, these types of innovations to occur day to day. And so I was I was allowed the opportunity to pivot from the traditional real estate and go into urban planning community development and to uh, house all of and champion all of the efforts from our collective BNI community. Thank you for, for sharing that. I want to uh, turn that, tie that back to something Cat Williams said in this sharp interview that I started watching. Wow. I'll just say it briefly. Yeah. He said that technology was one of the best things that happened to comedy because it forced comedians to write new material. Whereas before they could go to one city, give a set, and not, people wouldn't hear that joke until it got across the other side of the country. But now with things being posted regularly, they're having to constantly create new material. He said some comedians can't do that. But for this purpose, <laughs> I think in that schooling environment to be able to stay fresh because things are moving faster than they were a while mm -hmm. back. Um, but on, with that, my takeaway is definitely the sense of urgency that you mentioned. When I think about a lot of the national planning voices, I don't even know if I can just like point to like a specific thought leader that's really um, charging and inspiring the way for the future generation of planning. And I think mm -hmm. we've been too cute about the, the, the issues. I think right. we've been too, like meek and way mild too. about <laughs> what's going on. So <laughs> I appreciate you raising that. And I think it mm -hmm. um, also lights a charge in me of whenever I am in a space or whenever I am sharing um, to really not shy away from what's going on in the sense of urgency, because it's all around us every day. Mm. Every so. day. And I want to thank you guys because I showed my students a clips. Uh, and of course, they want to meet with you guys online. So we'll do a follow-up <laughs> because I, they sh I showed them clips of your YouTube video and they have questions for you to want to know your story and how you begin. So we love the uh, what you're doing and you are a representation of what we're trying to do at, at large in our communities. Thank you, Kevin. We definitely would love to connect with you and your students. Our last kind of question for you is how can people find you, whether email or social media or anything like that, if they want to establish urban planning, community development students of America in their neighborhood, or if they just want to connect with you to learn more about your workings? Mm -hmm. Well, you can work with, I am a national instructor uh, contracted through ULI. And to, I really bring the urban plan to the community first to give them a taste of the of the potential of the project. Um, you can contact ULI, any of their district officers, I mean, district councils to our national uh, ULI. Um, that's one way you can connect. My email is EPIC, that's E-P-I-C-C. -C. EPIC stands for External Partners Inspiring Cultural Change. EPIC is a nonprofit organization that 
it's really uh, geared to uh, facilitating the growth of the urban plan community development by bringing together the community, the built environment, and education. So you could contact me at epicc, E-P-I-C-C, 2030 at gmail.com. And so that's going to be a work in progress. I'll send more information. You also can connect connect with me via LinkedIn. And um, yeah, that, that would be great. I would love to come out and assist in any way uh, that's possible because I'm very, very passionate about this next movement. Because again, no one's going to come and save us. We must save ourselves. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, that is all for us today. We drop episodes every other Tuesday and you can follow us on social media at the number four degrees pod. Peace out, y'all.